This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. So tell me, how was your night with little baby Quinn? The night was good. Um, yeah. Yeah, she's adorable. Uh, we got along really well. I watched her here at my house, um, which was kind of nice. And um, mm-hmm. she she passed out early. She slept until she was picked up. And nice. when I passed her off to her grandpa, she like kind of woke up and when like he moved her and she saw me, she like cried to come back to me like with her arms out. And I, oh. I was like, oh my god, yes, yep, do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't be sad. She loves but, her like... Aunt Laura. <laughs> <laughs> it was very yeah. flattering. Nice. But, yeah, that's she's great. A sweet little thing. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good. It was. It was a much needed event i feel like i'm feeling this retrograde i'm just gonna think that's what it is the retrograde yes my anxiety it's definitely it's definitely hitting some people and i'm never gonna forgive tiktok for uh all those fucking posts if you're one of these signs you're gonna have this and that happen during retrograde something like really good and i'm like i'm irritable i'm cranky I don't I don't know the, how that's going to lead to a, a raise, but okay. Those posts always bother the crap out of me. Like manifest um everyone who likes this post will receive $1000 this month. Oh my god. Yeah, and right. Yeah, it's like don't First of all, it's such a obvious attempt at somebody trying to just up their engagement. Yeah. And it's also kind of cruel because it's like the same as if it's just like I feel find it like really really unethical to be like totally. oh like I've I've aligned a spell to this post and if you like it this will happen if you comment this will happen and it's just it, comment to claim just, it exactly and I'm like uh nope. it just makes me feel icky seeing yeah. that. They always make me feel icky, and I'm always going to think back to both IVF cycles. I was inundated with these, like, you know, here's a card pull. Oh, I see a baby in your future. And then to have the result that I had was, like, that's going to fuck so many people up. Yeah. That's not okay. hmm Playing with people's hope. Like, it is one thing to inspire hope in somebody, but to, like. Sure claim that like it's destined to happen when there's really no guarantee like it's just i don't know i hear you i hear you is this um an alcohol-free wine you have it is it's a new one that i'm trying from chateau diana it's just called a red blend okay (laughs) um not my favorite that's so funny that's so funny because my mom just went to um the store recently and she ran across all these alcohol removed wines yeah that's i don't what this necessarily one's know what that 
yeah, what that means, like they must put some enzyme that gets rid of the alcohol. The same as like beer that I've seen that is gluten removed. Like they make it with gluten, but then they put an enzyme in it that gets rid of it. So I'm assuming it's something similar if they're using that language. But anyways, my mom bought like Gavin and I um, now that, you know, we're kind of like fully in in wedding mode. um, Everyone says like, just sit, relax and enjoy your engagement. And both of us are like, no, pedal to the metal. (laughs) (laughs) And we're thinking like, okay, we're going to neither of us drink like I have a drink here and there but I'm never around Gavin mm-hmm. and so really I have like one drink every three months really is the, the the reality of how how often I drink but we won't be drinking at our wedding however we will be offering alcoholic beverages to our guests and so we're like okay what can we drink that's not just diet coke or pepsi or whatever yes yeah <laughs> And um, we ordered a case of Curious Elixirs, so we've been working our way through that and tasting which flavors we like. Mm-hmm. And then my mom ran into, it's called Free Wines, but it's without the second F-R-E. E, it's just F-R-E. Mm-hmm. She got a rosé, she got a Chardonnay, and she got a red blend. I think it's their rosé that I tried. I haven't tried the others yet. Yeah, it's like a white Zinfandel. I really liked it. I immediately got the on the nose like like strawberries, like mm-hmm. if you want like a nice refreshing summery thing. And it was really funny as I was pouring it. I'm like, you know, what I just realized like my mom is like across the table from me. I'm like, I can pour myself a very generous glass of this and no one can judge me because there's no alcohol. <laughs> in it. <laughs> but anyways, we've been having a lot of fun, like discovering all these. Gosh, there's just so many more non-alcoholic beverage yeah. options out there it's awesome and um my my dad also ordered this thing called toast but it's with the it's with the o with the two dots over it uh-huh. I forget what that's called but um so it's t-o-s-t toast and it's a non-alcoholic sparkling beverage that looks like champagne so that oh, we won't have yeah. to be like drinking Martinelli's or something right. on our on our wedding. Like we can actually have something that looks like champagne and is sparkling and is more like elevated and sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, we're definitely navigating it and um, seeing what we like because we're going to have to, you know, be ordering a lot of it and then somehow getting it over to Dominican Republic. Right. But... Yeah, it's it's a great time to be sober. There's so many options for you more than ever. I, you know, I when I went to Bevmo for my second run, so I'm, I'm I'm eventually gonna try all that they have to offer. That's alcohol free. Right. Um, I was looking through and I'm like, man, there's so many cute bottles that like I just like the look of them. Yeah. And then I got to these and I'm like, it's Chateau Diane, red blend wine. Like it's just boring. And I thought, you know. <laughs> If I had money, maybe I would create, Mm -hmm. like, some alcohol-free wines, but with, like, really cool labels. Yeah, because that's kind of half of the fun of shopping for wine, especially. All these different designs, Mm -hmm. just just to feel fun, you know? Yeah, like, you want to feel like you're sipping on something more than just a Franzia, you know what I mean? And if you're a person who doesn't know anything about wine, when you're going shopping, most likely you're looking at like kind of 
how pretty the labels totally. are. Like even I, who I was almost a wine judge for competitions, I was like in training before I decided to switch industries. Um, I, I would still do that. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm a graphic designer, so it's kind of instilled yes. in me. But even with all my wine knowledge, I'm still like, this might be crappy, but God, I love the artwork <laughs> on this. <laughs> That's half of it. There's nothing... Okay, there are plenty of things worse than this, but um, buying sure. something that you're like, I know this is good, but like, I hate looking at it. It's so boring. Mm-hmm. Like, let me drink this bottle just to get rid of it. I don't want to look at it. Yeah. I mean, that's so petty. Like I said, that's not the worst thing, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. No, I get also, it. I totally can we get just it. Take notice, like, how white my leg is compared to the rest of me. It has not seen the sun. At all this summer. Uh, that's like my boobs. Well, yeah. Yeah, they never see the light of day. <laughs> um, I thought I thought you were going to be like, can we just take notice of how I've shaved or something like that? I'm like, I, you're very blurry. I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to oh, say. No, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, it is always an accomplishment when that happens, but... Uh... I haven't shaved in like two months. It's fine. Yeah, I go. My legs are like the least priority. Like I don't care. Mm-hmm. My armpits, I have to shave every day, no matter what. Am I? If I'm on a deserted island, I'm looking for something sharp to shave my armpits with. I can't stand the feeling. <laughs> I can't. I've tried. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. I just can't. Mm. Yeah, this might be TMI, but I have some hairs grown out on my armpits. They're not. So I've been getting laser hair removal mm-hmm. the past year year and a half um and i'm like two months overdue to my neck for my next appointment but it's gotten to the point where there's so few hairs there and they're so like thin and mm-hmm. fine that i actually like i know exactly what you're talking about before with my hairs before i couldn't let them grow in two three days no way like there's no way every single day was shaving my pits um, but now I don't really mind it because I can't really feel anything. I would like they're so just like soft mind. baby hairs. Like, that's laser hair. That's one place I would do laser hair removal. Like pick anywhere. It's so worth oh, it. I want it. No more hair. It's, it's like so a, worth it's it. The, the feeling I just can't. Like nails on a chalkboard, really itchy mm. label in the back of a shirt. Yeah. Ugh. That's how I feel about um, my wet hair on my back after I wash my hair. I can't do it. I, like, arch my back as I'm getting out of the shower. I grab my (laughs) towel and I, like, slink it and make sure that it's over my shoulders before I unarch my back. I'm, like, a freak. I just, I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, So, anyways. Oh. (laughs) We hope. Oh, yeah. I had a possible episode idea because oh, i was thinking okay. right before and like complaining about mercury retrograde all that. um um yes i was thinking about having jess on for a mercury 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 retrograde <laughs> episode to just discuss yeah. what it is what it means Hmm. because honestly i do feel like um so many people they just hear that re- that mercury retrograde suck yeah. and not every mercury re- retro not oh my god mm-hmm. it's a hard <laughs> word to say not every mercury retrograde 
is sucky for everybody. Like people react to it in different ways. And I feel like some people, when they don't know astrology well enough, they're just like, okay, so this is supposed to suck, but really, you know, and they don't really know what exactly it means. Yes. And so I was just thinking it would be so good because I was equating it to like, oh, life since it started has just been, I've been so irritable, but I also had my therapy Mm -hmm. check in today and I started my group therapy Mm -hmm. on Monday. And the the particular form of therapy that I've been doing is called ACT. And it's all about acceptance Mm -hmm. and commitment to accepting what you're feeling and committing to dealing with it, moving on, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that's that's almost like what Mercury retrograde is. It's like things might come up, but like now's the time to take action and commit Mm -hmm. to getting through it. And I was like patting myself on the back for that and then was like, oh, my God, wait, that would be a good episode to go over that. Yeah. So, yeah. I just- what it is, how it affects you, how to navigate it. That's that's a really good idea. Um. So today, though, we have our spooky episode. Yes. Just coming in a day late. Apologies. Yeah. Um. Life just keeps happening, and that's we're okay with that. We <laughs> hope you are. <laughs> it really does. It is what yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have paranormal and you have true crime. I do. I have true crime and it's, I, I tried my best to condense my notes for this one Mm -hmm. because it was a lot and I got like, Mm -hmm. no, I don't want to say excited, but like, you know, when you're researching something and you come across like a gold mine of like the information and you're like, I need all of it. And then you're like, okay. And you like layer it in. Yeah. So I like, I try, I did my best. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you because for mine, I knew the nugget of information I was trying to look for mm-hmm. and it took me forever to find it. And my thing isn't going to be so long as it usually is. Okay, good. Cause mine's long. So if yours is a little <laughs> longer, that's okay. Okay. <laughs> so this is going to be, you know, a true crime, heavy paranormal light episode. Perfect. I feel good. So I'm ready. Okay. Um, this one, like my two main sources were from um, a memorial site for the victim and then also mm-hmm. um, court transcripts, which I'm like, how much like closer can you get to the information, right? Did I interrupt you? I felt like you were going to say something. No, okay, okay. no, sorry. I'm just quickly texting my folks because I'm asking for a favor <laughs> from them. <laughs> I'm texting. <laughs> I'm so jealous of your glass of wine. I'm texting somebody to bring up a glass of wine to me. <laughs> and I'm putting quotes around wine. Sober wine podcasting session. Meanwhile, all the giggles. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I listen, I, I read this article about like 40 actors that are sober, and there's so many more sober people out there, and not just yeah. people who are recovering alcoholics. Like, there's definitely, you know, it's amazing and it's great that there's so many people who have been able to stay sober for so many years but a lot of people out there just prefer a sober life it's not anything about addiction or nothing it's just that's just how they prefer it 
Yeah, that's and that's um that. so you know, in light of that, I'm going to be drinking copious amounts of non-alcoholic rosé, okay? I love it. I'm like <laughs> I committed to like I want to test these wines out to the point where like my mom for my birthday was like, "What do you want?" I gave her a list. I included this little skull wine stopper and I included um a uh, a wine opener that's like a bat so it's got like a little bat head on the top and then the the little arms that go out are like wings and it's the cutest thing I've ever seen and I think she got excited she was like oh you're drinking again I was like alcohol free yeah (laughs) (laughs) so like I'm committed to, to finding what I like but anyway um all right so my true crime story um i was having a hard time finding a true crime story because like going through different stories i think i just felt like the heaviness of what's happening in the true crime world of you know the really Mm. big case that you know we've posted about and then just how complicated not complicated but like involved and intense feeling it was and then how that also brought to light like all these other missing person stories and that and you're referring to the um gabby petito case yeah yeah um and like you know people were pointing out like okay that's great like what about all these other missing people and now some of those are starting to get some attention and there's movement Mm -hmm. happening but then there's also some really heavy criticism of the true crime uh community of you know you're just post make, people were making videos just for content just to talk about it on tiktok and, and instagram right. like yeah not even part of the community but just kind of like building into it and then i saw like other true crime podcasts like rushing to get out episodes about it and i kind of had to like refine my footing in the true crime world because it like made me feel icky for a, for a second of like how obsessed people were becoming with this true like devastating mm-hmm. live story that was happening people just wanted more and more and more and like yes we like we love true crime there's a huge interest in it but i just i don't know it was like those outsiders and the others that were just obsessing over it that i had a hard time I had a hard time finding a story yeah. and like by having that interest. And I actually came across a movie that I've seen. I couldn't even half a dozen times at least that I, I really like um, and is actually mm-hmm. based on a true story. And not only was it based on a true Ooh. story, it was made with the family's consent and involvement and was based on a book that was written by the victim's mother and a, um, like a journalist of some sort, I think, to kind of help her piece things together. And so I was kind of like, oh, yeah, I can do that story. And then on top of that, the movie makes me sob every time because it's so well done. I highly recommend it. I'll I'll share it later in the story. Um, But it really pinpoints the, the emotion and devastation that a family goes through when something like this happens. Right. Um, so that that's why I picked this particular story. Um, wine delivery. My wine delivery is, <laughs> is here. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. 
Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> he brought me up the oh, it smells lovely. The um the toast. Oh nice. One, the sparkling one. It's uh ginger elderberry, so it's like a Ooh. it looks like a, a rose champagne, yeah. but it's like a oh my gosh, it smells lovely. I love it. Oh, that is delicious. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Continue. Um, so today I'm covering Rachel Barber. Okay. Um, and also never heard of this it's one. Australian. So I'll put that up there. Oh, okay. Um, and her birthday just passed. It was September twelfth. So another lovely Aww. Virgo. Um, so Rachel, Rachel's name, her full name was Rachel Elizabeth Barber. She was born, as I said, September twelfth of nineteen eighty three. In uh, Glen Elvie, Bass Coast Shire, Victoria, Australia. Mouthful. Wow. Damn. <laughs> Seriously. Um, she eventually, her and her family eventually moved to Mont Albert. She had two sisters, mm -hmm. Hannah and Ashley Rose. Uh, Ashley Rose was four years younger than her, and Hannah, Hannah Heather was six years younger. Gotcha. She grew up around uh, cows, dogs, cats ducks and chickens she loved animals Aww. um family reports that when she was younger she would bathe in the clay and run around naked outside just <laughs> living it up um that's that's really cute <laughs> she was such a cute innocent little thing she was she would get easily scared um they said that after watching et for five minutes she demanded that the vhs be locked in the boot of the car with the garage door bolted Oh, it's so oh. horrible. Oh. Um, she had some extraordinary dancing abilities. She was shy, um, especially around unfamiliar people, but opened up when she was mm -hmm. closer to them. She had dreams and ambitions of starring in musicals, which her favorites were Cats in Chicago, which was nice. amazing taste. I hate the people mm -hmm. hate on Cats. Cats is the best. I could live for that production i just not the movie i mean the movie was trash but the production itself is amazing awesome oh my, watching yeah. it again lately like i like a year ago i tried to watch it on youtube and i remember the words i know the dance moves i could do it just saying um so like i said one of my sources was a memorial page that was started by her family and mm -hmm. um i wanted to share a little clip that was written by her grandmother, um, just to get an idea of who Rachel was. So she wrote one story about the first time she had the delight of taking her to the ballet. She was seven years old and they went to the Melbourne Concert Hall. So she writes, from the moment we walked into the hall, Rachel was wide-eyed. We had front row seats in the dress circle to the side and fortunately with a large expansive balcony in front of us because Rachel hung over it with the same wide-eyed glow as before. She gazed at all below and around us, taking people in as they took their seats. Then as the orchestra quietly came in, all hushed with lights dimming. I had to hang on to her as she leaned over to see musicians coming in and taking their places. So I wanted to share that tidbit because she was a ballet oh. dancer. Oh. And um, loved it, lived for it. She danced professionally. Like she took classes, but she would also dance in their mm -hmm. garden. She loved putting on plays and she would get her sisters involved to act in a variety of roles as well. 
Oh, cute. Um, and aside from dancing, she just liked to dress up as her favorite characters and go out into the everyday world dressed as her favorites. Um, oh my gosh. She, uh, I can't remember which character it was, but one of the women from Little Women was one of her favorites, and that's who she would dress as. Oh. Um, <laughs> that's so, God, she's so adorable. I, know, I just keep imagining this little girl dressed in like 19th century clothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm Joe. <laughs> um, so when they moved to Mont Albert, when she was a little bit older, Rachel's ballet teachers told her parents that, you know, she showed a lot of promise, that her dancing was really something special. So she left her country ballet school and continued dancing at the Melbourne Dance Academy. Um, after Melbourne. 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 Yeah, I can't do the accent. Get me on a good day, no. and I am full Wisconsin, but that's about You know it. who is great at Australian accents? Gavin. Oh. You know why he's great at it? Because he loves the song by Men at Work, <laughs> Down Under. <laughs> of course he does. That's like, that's always his request song at weddings. It's like his jam. <laughs> it's his power. It's his power song. I don't know why. I think he was Australian in another life or something. You know, I've got like a playlist of power songs, so I understand it. But none of them have given me an accent. <laughs> yeah. So anyways. Anyways. Um, Melbourne. I'm going to think of that. Um, so after six months with. She she moved in between. There were six months without dance lessons. Uh, Rachel tried a local ballet school that the sister of Carolyn Reed attended. Car- Carolyn Reed mm-hmm. um, was the eldest daughter of a friend of theirs who had occasionally babysat the girls. Yes. Okay. So at the beginning of her year nine school year, she started at the dance factory in Richmond, which um, she school there is different. So she didn't major in ballet there at that school but rather musical theater dance singing and drama still plays okay. into that dream of being in a musical uh the following year right. though 1999 she left mainstream school and began a two-year full-time diploma of performance arts wow so <clears throat> as i mentioned they moved to mont albert she was a little bit older at this point um they met carolyn reed robertson so Carolyn is an important piece of all this. Um, she was, I believe, four years older than Rachel. Um, she was someone who truly suffered. She had both mental oh. and physical health issues. Um, namely, she suffered epileptic fits, as well as uh, she had a personality disorder. Oh, that must have been really tough. Yeah. Um, her, the... <clears throat> In the movie, the girl that plays her won an award for it. Cause, oh, wow. Yeah. You wouldn't want that for, like, huh? the role that she plays. But, like, yeah, she it's rough. Um, Carolyn had a deep-rooted self-loathing in which she saw herself as not worthy of anyone's love. Um, she thought that she had a large nose, that she was ugly, deformed, an idiot, a mm. doormat boring, weird, worthless, loser, etc. Um, and all of the, like, all those descriptive words I just said came from 
a self-portrait she drew at the age of 14. It's just, it's her with all these words written around it. Oh. And more. Um, so during 1996 and 1997, around the time that she was 14, she began to work as a nanny for the Barber family. Um, so she watched Rachel and her three, or sorry, two younger sisters. Um, mm-hmm. And some things kind of occurred. So in 1997, Carolyn photographed Rachel for a project uh, of her like dancing and whatnot. Around September yeah. or October of 1998, Rachel informed her mother that an influential uh, connoisseur had taken a special interest in these photographs that Carolyn had taken. Hmm. Um, okay. In September, around that same time of 1998, the mother of, uh, sorry, I didn't re- rewrite that. Rachel's mom recalls her daughter telling her that Caroline um, knew somebody who might be able to get her some photographic work. Uh oh. And during the summer holidays of 1998 to 1999, Ashley Rose received a call at home from Caroline, who asked for the dates of birth of Rachel and her sisters. Uh, I don't like Caroline this. indicated that she needed the information as part of a project on which she was working. And she was then given the various dates of birth, um, including Rachel's birthday. After receiving the data, Caroline applied for a copy of Rachel's birth certificate. Uh, uh-huh. There it is. Yes. So later, police believed that this would be where this all kind of started. This origination. Okay. So on Sunday, February 28th of 1999, Caroline and Rachel spoke on the phone twice uh, with Caroline calling her both those times. Mm-hmm. Uh, one okay. phone call lasted 15 minutes and 27 seconds. The second was uh, 29 minutes and 42 seconds. So like, Oh, decently length phone calls. I mean, right. Um, longer than you would think for like a nanny or a babysitter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the early morning of March 1st, 1999, 15 year old Rachel Barber went to dance school. And that was the last time her father saw her alive. <gasps> oh, my God. Oh, God. I was just bathed in chills yeah. all over my body. Wow. He brought her to a tram stop on the corner of Riversdale and Elgar Road, which I'm sure all of you know, um, so that (laughs) she could get to her school. So they parted ways at 9.30 in the morning. The girl had agreed to meet with her father at the tram stop in the evening at about 6.15. So uh, Rachel had arranged to have breakfast at her friend Kylie's house, which was her practice uh, prior to class. Um, It had been arranged that Rachel was to meet her father. Oh, yeah. I already said that at 6.15 that evening. But she made no mention to her parents prior to leaving that morning that she would um, either be late home or that she intended to stay away. It was just, I will meet Mm -hmm. you there at 6.15. So on that Monday, she went to um, Kylie's house in Richmond where she met her boyfriend, Emmanuel Correa, Correa, Correa. I'm not sure how he pronounced it. Manny. He went by Manny. Um, and then his okay. brother, Dominic. And around 10, 15 a.m., she and the two, um, she and her friend and the two brothers left to attend dance class at the dance factory. 
Okay. So during the afternoon, she told a fellow student that she was going to make a lot of money that evening and that it was with someone that this friend didn't know. Oh, God. And she indicated that she would explain it to him the next day, like what it was all about, but that she couldn't say anything then. Um, on that same day, she also pointed out to her boyfriend a pair of shoes that cost about $100 and said to him that she would purchase them the next day on that Tuesday. Okay. She further told him that she was off to do a job that night and that she was going to earn a heap of money. And she also oh, said that she was meeting up with an old female friend. So then at around 4 p.m., she asked uh, Dominic, Manny's brother, for a lift to Bridge Road after classes finished. At around 5.35, mm-hmm. following um, you know, the end of classes for the day, uh, they left the dance factory and they walked along Church Street towards where she was headed, the Bridge Road. Um, then Dominic asked her if she still required a lift, and she said that she would make her own way from that point. Um, another classmate had asked her where she was going and she responded that she was going to walk up to bridge road and that her father was going to pick her up at the end of the tram. So like, she's giving kind of inconsistent stories to her friends at this point. She's being secretive about whatever it is that she's doing there. Yeah. There's something going on. Um, this friend offered to walk her to the stop, but Rachel declined uh, the offer. Um, so 5.45 was when her classmates last saw her. Um, at around 6.40 p.m., she was seen by a woman named Allison getting on a tram at the intersection of High and Chapel Streets. So not where she had told others. And she was in okay. the company of an older girl. Hmm. Uh, I wonder who that right? is. They both got off when the tram stopped at the corner of Williams Road and High Street. Um, and the tram stop is about 120 meters from where Caroline lives or lived at the time. So 615 comes around. Rachel's not there. It's very unlike her. Her parents sound the alarm that she's missing. As soon as basically, as soon as she's not there, they just are like, nope, this isn't normal. This isn't right. And they start making calls. They report that she's missing. Um, police initially don't. Not that they don't believe them, but they kind of go the route of like, well, are you sure? Like, she's 15. Did she run away? Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Like, right. there wasn't a whole lot of cooperation. Um, as soon as March 2nd rolled around, like, so the next day, police began to actually, like, believe them and did open right. a, um, not necessarily investigation, but a reconstruction of the events of the day to kind of just figure out, okay, well, like, where was she? When was she seen? Where could she have gone? Um, they began to, you know, talk to a bunch of people, into, including her boyfriend and other school students. And that's where they kind of start to figure out, like, okay, yes, yeah, something wasn't right. So that's where they start to piece together, like, the timeline that I just mentioned with her and her friends. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So basically what happened was that Rachel met Caroline. They boarded a tram together. Caroline basically 
tricked Rachel into meeting by arranging, right. um, yeah. arranging to do yep. a psychological experiment. Like there's some variations as to like what wording was used, but it was some sort of uh-huh. experiment or study or questionnaire, something, something psychological that would earn her money. That gotcha. She would make- and she was told it would earn her a lot of yeah. money. So when you're 15 and you're like, oh, I just get to answer questions about myself and yeah. get paid for it. Okay. And it's not totally clear either how much money it was. Because some reports, it's listed as 100. Others, it's 500. So, like, I almost wonder if, you know, she if Rachel gave incorrect information or was, like, blurry on it. And then Caroline later didn't corroborate very well. But right. it was money. She was offered money to do this. Um, right. Like a survey of some sort. So, sure. Um, the the person who saw the two of them leaving the tram was later when she was interviewed. She mentioned that Rachel looked like this beautiful, amazing girl, and that the person she was with looked like a simpleton. Kind of adds a little to <laughs> the whole thing, but ouch, yeah. Um. And it was at this point, they got off the tram, they went to Caroline's apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, sometime later, neighbors heard screams coming from Caroline's apartment, <gasps> but they didn't oh attach any importance to them because in a way, that's kind of who Caroline was. She did go through, she had epileptic fits, but like literal fits right. as well. So, so they were used to hearing odd sounds. Yeah, basically. Okay. Wow. What a bummer. Yeah. So um, down the line, the police begin to investigate. They f- figure out pretty quickly that, you know, she got on a tram with this other girl and where she got off. Yeah. So they pinpoint it to her apartment because they realize, oh, this girl is someone that she knew. So this seems like the most likely place that she went. Uh, when they mm-hmm. searched her apartment, they found bags of clothes that could not have belonged to Caroline but matched the size of Rachel's clothes, as well as the application for a copy of the birth certificate of Rachel Elizabeth Barber. Oh, my God. She was immediately taken to the police station, where pretty quickly she confessed (laughs) to the murder. Really? Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So she, at this point, Rachel was 15, Caroline was 19. She... Like, I've read, this was, like, through several articles of, like, the police that interrogated her. Um, it was written, she just looked calmly at him when he, he asked her uh, where she was. Mm-hmm. And she matter-of-factly just said, she's dead. He asked oh, her, are you sure? God. And she said, yes, I've buried her. <gasps> And at this point, he's like, mm, are you sure she's dead? Because no one confesses just like that, right? Like, try to get away with yeah. it, but then, like, just confess. Like, or is she, like, taking the fall for somebody exactly. or something? So he's like, are you sure? Is there no way we can help her? He's like, maybe there's hope. She's hiding somewhere. Um, and she, again, said that, nope, she had buried her and that she was buried on a family country property um, near where she buried other pets that had passed. So, wow. On Saturday, March 13th, 
Uh, which, if you look at the timeline of this, <sighs> that's actually pretty quick for an investigation to move forward. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the 13th, the police went to uh, the, this property in Kilmore to search for the body, which was sound. It, they found it pretty quickly. And um, she was in a shallow grave. And she had a mm. telephone cord wrapped around her neck. Oh. So, <clears throat> basically, Caroline was extremely jealous of Rachel for being beautiful, being successful, yeah. having a loving family. Caroline's family life was a roller coaster. Um, yeah. And it seemed fairly clear to people that she had a desire to essentially become Rachel. Um, and uh -huh. with her personality disorder. That's why the, mm -hmm. the, the birth certificate yep. See, I thought it was something where, like, it was going to be a, like a trafficking kind of thing. Yeah, no. She wanted to be her. And with the Whoa. manicness of her personality disorder, yeah, it just, this wasn't, this wasn't a good recipe at all. Oh. Um, basically, what they were able to piece together was that once she was there, she did this survey. And then she asked Rachel mm -hmm. to show her some dance steps. And then I believe she gave her something to drink that had sleeping pills in it so that she would, oh. you know, not be with it. And then she strangled her. Right. Oh, my God. And then Caroline kept Rachel's body in her apartment in the closet for two days with the cord still <gasps> wrapped around her neck. Oh, my God. And uh, her father visited her. Like the next day. The body was there. He didn't know. Oh, my God. Um, but he came because she called him and said she was sick. She was she was sick frequently. Um, yeah. And so just the yeah, that she was there. Anyway. Oh, um, my God. Would he have, like, would would a body, like, create odor? Decom decom it would. But this was, like, point? the next day. So I don't think it would yet. Oh, okay. Because I was gonna be like, "How did the dad not smell anything?" Right. I also but don't. I don't know when that that decomp smell starts. Yeah, and honestly, from what I understand about her and her lifestyle, she wasn't like someone like living well. Like I think, yeah, she didn't really take care of herself. Oh. Probably didn't have like a super clean apartment. Um, right. So, had there been a slight smell, I maybe it wouldn't have gone questioned. I don't know. So when they tried to find out, um, like, how she got the body out of the apartment into the farm, she gave kind of a sketchy account of how that occurred. Um, but basically, she said she wrapped Rachel in rugs, placed her body in a large army bag, which she had purchased. And then mm -hmm. um, they've never found that bag, by the way. Like, they don't know huh. where that went. Um, she said she couldn't recall where she left it at her, the property. It was her father's farm. Um, oh, okay. That property, and then she said she told the taxi truck driver, because that's a thing. That a taxi truck driver—that's a first for me. Yeah, that's apparently uh, what she used. But she told him that they were delivering a sculpture. Oh wow! Yeah. Oof. So <clears throat> on March first, kind of going back a little bit, she 
after this had occurred, she, she called her supervisor saying that she hadn't slept well the night before. She wasn't feeling well. She wouldn't be coming to work that day. Again, kind of a common mm-hmm. thing for her. Um, she then went to work the next morning at around nine and she was observed to be pale and notably quiet. So knew something was up. Um, right. Yeah. And then that same day, uh, her phone at her desk, she used to make a phone call to the public transport corporations, V line passenger corporation twice. She made two phone calls to them. Each one lasting. Um, first one I think was like, was short. It was like a minute. The next one was like eight minutes. Um, mm-hmm. it was also used to call the public transport corporation. Um, Basically, she started making phone calls. She started making a plan. Right. Um, she also called her father, again, saying that she wasn't feeling well. Um, and that's, that's at that point where he goes to visit her and you find, well, no one finds, but Rachel's still there and he doesn't know. Right. Um, she then... Let's see. On March 2nd, she rang the mobile phone of a workmate to ask for a repayment of monies that she had lent to her. So she had lent her her coworker $320. So now she wants that money back. Um, and she called right. her three times to try to get that from her. She said that she needed the money because she was moving some of her furniture to one of her father's holiday houses. And then she went uh-huh. on to say she needed it that night. Uh, she was getting okay. someone to move the furniture and he'd be coming the next morning. So like she, she needed it. Right. Her, Urgency. Yeah, her friend was yeah. not able to give her the money that day. Um, but okay. the next morning she rang the coworker two more times to try and get the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so then her coworker drives to Caroline's home and she gives her a hundred dollars and then they drive together to an ATM where she gets another hundred dollars. And basically Caroline's she's she wants her money. <laughs> she's gonna get her money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, March third, she again called her supervisor saying that she was unwell and would be staying home. On the fourth, she went back to work. She worked a full day. Um and what's really gross is she mentioned to her supervisor that a friend of hers had gone missing. But she claimed not to be concerned about it because she had done it before. What? Oh my God. Okay. And then she made a similar reference to this missing friend um, a few days later to somebody else. Uh huh. But on that occasion, she said that the police had spoken to her about the girl disappearing. So it's kind of weird in a way that she's like connecting the two of them. Yeah. But, like trying to be nonchalant. It just makes it mm-hmm. more suspicious. <laughs> I don't think she realized it that. It really does. Or just dumb. I don't yeah. know. Uh, and then March 7th, she, she called the barber's family. <gasps> and this call lasted about 14 minutes. It was taken by oh a, God, that's a, a family time. friend. So she didn't actually speak with the family. Um, but he... 14 minutes is a long time to speak some, to somebody you don't yeah. know. 
Um, and I guess they, they had people at the house that were kind of fielding phone calls and whatnot. And so that was what he was there right. to help with. Um, he took down her name and her phone number, just like he did everyone who called. Um, and yeah. I'm not sure exactly what they spoke about, but mm -hmm. I assume she tried to give information or something or tried to get information is yeah. what I think she probably was doing. Um, right. And then uh, that same coworker that owed her money on the 10th called Caroline. She was at home that day and she was like, hey, the police came here looking for you. Uh, and it's in connection to the missing girl. So now the police are kind of getting on Caroline. They know there's something yeah. there. Um, but Caroline told her like, oh, I babysat her when she was younger. Like, not a big deal. Like, she probably just ran away. Um, and she told her that she used to run away all the time, which was not the case for Rachel at all. By right. any means. She was like a really good kid. She was a good kid. She had a great family. She had, like, she had it all. Just yeah. good things. Nothing but good things. <clears throat> now the same day as that phone call she went to the bank of melbourne and completed an application for a personal loan to finance the purchase of a car saying she needed the money urgently now she also didn't have a license to drive but she was trying to get okay. a car so she applied for ten thousand dollars um and she was pretty persistent she called this particular branch three times to inquire um, as to the progress of the application. Like, okay. really wanted this to happen. Mm -hmm. On March 16th, she was advised by the bank that her application had been declined. And they also called her phone at work to leave a message saying the same thing. So, just like, I, I don't know. Um, so again, like during this whole period, there's a lot of back and forth at of calling out sick, coming in, working, calling out sick, coming in and working, Wow, which is like just all over the yeah, place. Yeah, like kind of her MO, but at the same time, like more so. Like she's kind of spiraling a bit, like everything is becoming more and more nonsensical. Yeah. Um, so at this point, the police are trying to look into her apartment they know now this is mm -hmm. where rachel was um we need access right. they get access not by caroline but through um uh the i think actually it was the police the police and the fire department got entry i don't know how warrants work there but <laughs> right. maybe they had one i think they tried to call her ahead of time to get in and she didn't respond sure so. oh well um oh well <laughs> once they got access they got inside they noticed her laying on the floor um at the foot of her bed unconscious so no one else what? was present at the time um there were a number of empty packets of uh, tegretol which is a drug commonly used for epilepsy so it could be that okay. she had an epileptic fit um like they pretty wow, sure the timing right? um and they actually, there was a doctor who, who interviewed her and whatnot. He actually thought that it, the arrival of the police and everyone could have brought on mm -hmm. the, the fit. Oh, like the, the stress mm -hmm. or something induced it? Yeah. Interesting. 
So once they were there, the police were searching for any signs of Rachel where they found, you know, what I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And they also yeah. found Caroline's personal diaries because she kept them. Um, they were eventually used as evidence in trial. I was going to say those are going to come in handy, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, the uh, defense, not the defense, the um, prosecution. Prosecution. Called mm-hmm. it How to Change in Nine Weeks. Or actually, that's what it was what? written on the front of her journal. Oh, that's that was like wrote. her. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's how they introduced wow. it. As like, do we need to say more? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to read the title of this and uh, we rest yeah. our case. <laughs> so they reveal this woman's obsession with Rachel. Oh my God. Um, as oh. she plotted to kill and disfigure Rachel. She <gasps> didn't disfigure her. You know, that didn't actually happen. Fortunately. Um, I mean, what happened was mm-hmm. horrible enough. So the journal and emotional letters to her father, cause she wrote lots of those, um, also exposed the intense self-loathing that she felt. And, um, they also believe that that was a big part of her fixation on Rachel, who, like I said, she was pretty talented, well-liked. She had everything going for her. That's what she wanted. It's mm-hmm. all the things she didn't have. Um, right. So forensic psychiatrist, Julian, I keep wanting to say Parmigiani, Parmigiani, I believe. Um, Gene <laughs> <laughs> um, Parmesan. What, what was this as a prosecutor? Uh, forensic psychiatrist. Oh, forensic psychiatrist. Um, Gotcha. Dr. Chicken Parmigiani. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, um, that's jokes aside. (laughs) It's hard when it's a name like that. Um, Yeah. So we'll call call them Julian. That'll get us through this. Um, They said that cases like Caroline's in which a teenager kills an idol in order to steal their identity was completely unheard of. Maybe thought about, but to actually have acted on it and gone through with it, that's so rare. Uh, They said Mm -hmm. some people might change their behavior, their appearance, their job, their lifestyle so that they can be like their role model. But to actually want to kill them and replace them is going a really long way. And uh, further said that this is clearly an extreme case. And they said, I mean, you can see a bit of fantasizing in most teenagers, but to see someone going out of their way to kill their victim, to replace them, that's really unique. Um, Not unique in a cute way, like in a very sick way. Mm -hmm. So after all of this is brought, you know, into trial, they really go through every detail of all of this. She was sentenced to 20 years in prison. And they set a, ma- a minimum mandatory sentence of 14 and a half years. Um, wow. She was up for parole several times. Uh, I will say she was eventually released in January of 2015. Um, the decision was somewhat supported by Rachel's parents, though they have been um, noted to say that they wished she had served at least 17 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they called for support from the Corrections Victoria 
um, and Caroline's own family to help continue her rehabilitation. They also ask that Caroline be given the space that she needs to rehabilitate, which is just so, I don't know that I could say any of that. Yeah. Um, but the event, so basically, like I said, they made a, they, her mom wrote a book. They made a movie. Um, it was called In Her Skin, and I believe in Australia it may be called something different. Uh, let me pull that up real quick. Just in case we have anyone in Australia. Does it say? I am you. So you can find it probably under In Her Skin, but it may also be known as I am you, depending on where you live. Um, okay. But that won national and international awards. Um, and the family, like I said, were involved. They were involved in every step from seeing the script to meeting the crew. Um, the dad was played by Guy Pierce, And the mom was played by Miranda Otto. Both of them were uh, amazing. Um, and they said the girl that they got to play the role of Rachel, they got to sit down and talk with her. And it was a really emotional experience that she looked a lot Aww. like her. Um, and the film, when it was called I Am You, it, it originally was aired in the U.S. first because legal issues prevented it oh. from appearing in Australia. Um, oh, interesting. And then later, okay. it, they were able to to view it in Australia. And it was gotcha. the year that, she, I think the first year that Caroline was eligible for parole. So it helped them keep her in prison a little bit longer because people got to see, like, what occurred. And there right. was a public outcry, so her release was delayed, which was a huge relief. Um, uh, which, like, makes me want to really cries at the premiere in Australia. Um, afterwards, uh, her, one of her sisters wanted to sing the song Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. And um. Guy Pierce played the piano while she sang it. Um, I don't know why that just makes me like, like, Oh yeah, no, that really hits. It, it really hits. And it also just like, like I said, I think that's why the movie really stuck with me is that it was so involved with the family. And yeah. most of those movies aren't. Most of, you know, documentaries oh, and things like that. Yeah. It, the grand majority, they just do whatever they want with they it. They sensationalize it. They, all mm -hmm. these things. And um, this was just so different. Um, yeah. So, ugh, just, it was, yeah. Anyway. Um, so like I said, Caroline's been released. She's out. Um, oh boy. Pr like, what's weird to me about her getting released is she never really showed remorse. So I'm not sure how she got out. I think she just was on good behavior. Um, right. There was a doctor who spoke with her who stated mm -hmm. that, not that they were concerned for her outside of prison, but they noted that um, she kind of thrived a bit in prison because she had structure. She had a family. She considered people yeah. there her family and she was going to be losing that once she was out. But 
um, her, the inmates that were, you know, around her said she never, ever spoke about her crime while she was there, which wow. really leads me to wonder, you know, with not showing remorse, not talking about it, what kind of progress was made in terms yeah. of that aspect? I mean, hopefully she got help. No one really knows what kind of, you know, therapy mm -hmm. or whatnot she went through. Um, if she's on medications, I don't know. No one really knows. I couldn't find anything more recent. Yeah. Okay. About her. Um, and that was, that was the last bit was 2015. She was released. Um, but wow. I, not that long no, ago, not that long ago, but I highly, highly recommend watching the movie. Um, especially if you are a true crime fan, cause it is, it's true crime. Um, but from mm -hmm. a different point of view and it is also just a story that's different. You know, everything's usually done in the passion of something. Someone's mad. It's not usually an obsession of yeah. let me take over you. Um, and I will say, because this kind of grossed me out. When she was released, she was seen with like having super straight hair. Um, it, there was something about her, and I think even uh, Rachel's mom noted that she almost looked like she was trying to look more like Rachel. Ew. She doesn't have straight hair. Gross. And it, granted, she's allowed to straighten her hair if she wants. Right. It is 2021, so straighteners are very available for cheap. But, yeah, um, I guess, yeah, that's true. It just still is kind of, there's something icky. I, I don't know. I hope we don't hear any more from her, but. Yeah, let's cross our fingers on that. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, but um, I will say if you ever look up Rachel Barber, you're going to read a lot about what happened. You're going to hear, right, find things about Caroline. Um, but there is a memorial page that I think it was started, like, right, right after it happened and has not been updated since. So it's very, mm -hmm. it's nostalgic in a way, navigating it. It's not. It right and updated um but there's a lots more information about rachel and her family um and we'll share that link because i i think it would be good for people to see that too perfect yeah, yeah definitely send me the link so i can make sure it's included in the show notes yeah. thank you for telling that story for rachel um wow well my story I have paranormal, as you guys know, and I've kind of just been on like a little bit of a cryptid streak with my paranormal episodes. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, I chose, <clears throat> excuse me, I chose the region of New England because I actually randomly was like, I don't know, uh, researching like one, it's fall. And I'm like, oh, it must just be so beautiful over there right now. And then two, I was actually thinking like, oh, what if I can convince Gavin for us to honeymoon there someday? And so when, anyways, New England has just been on my mind. Yeah. Um, and so today I'm covering the folklore and some re more modern day recent sightings of the Pukwudgie. Oh, yay. Yeah, which is, ugh, Pukwudgie is such a fun <laughs> word to say. Super, super fun. It sounds like a term um, the of first endearment. Time, Pukwudgie. 
I know. Come be a little puck wedgie. Come be my little wedgie. Well, now that sounds like wedgie. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so for those who have never heard of a puck wedgie, um, this cryptid is a two to three foot tall being. And for those in the metric system, 61 to 91 centimeters tall. Um, and it's uh, mostly from the Wampanoag folklore, which is was the prevalent um, Native American tribe in the New England, Massachusetts area. So Pukwudgie's uh, features resemble a lot. They're very humanoid. Mm-hmm. They're bipedal. Um, they ha- but they have enlarged noses, uh, big kind of pointy ears, um, long fingers. Sometimes they look kind of claw-like. Their skin is very often described as being gray. Sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's hairy. And there's also some stories that it its skin glows. I guess. Ooh. I know. Which is like, wow, what a look. <laughs> Um, so the, na- <laughs> the native, Am- <laughs> I need someone to draw a picture of like all the cryptids and just say, wow, what a look. <laughs> I mean, imagine like a grumpy troll with like sp- spiky hair coming out the back yeah. of it, but it like having this gorgeous, like aura glow to it. And you're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, you look grumpy, but you're glowing. <laughs> Um, all right, so in Native American lore, um, Pukwudgies have the following abilities. Um, they can appear and disappear at will. Kind of unclear if they, like, turn invisible or if they, like, literally transport themselves or something. Um, and they can transform into a walking porcupine. And often they're described with like they that they look like a porcupine from the back. Like they have this kind of spiky hair or just well, spikes coming out their back. And that their front is very like half troll, half human like. Um, they can attack people and lure them to their deaths. Ooh. So even though I described like the glowing and like, oh little two to three foot troll man, like if you ever run across a puck wedgie don't go to over to shake their hand just yet. Right. Um, they've been known to be antagonistic against humans. They are able to use magic. They have poison arrows that they use. They can create fire at will. Um, and Pukwudgies in Native American folklore are known to control Te Paiwankas, which are believed to be the souls of Native Americans that they have killed. Oh. So it yeah, so apparently they believe that if a if somebody met their demise by hands of a puck wedgie, their soul was unfortunately kind of damned to be a slave to that puck wedgie. Right. They were feared, I bet. Oh, so feared. Um, so obviously the Native Americans are like, well, we're gonna leave them alone. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> um, when you see a puck wedgie, you're not supposed to mess with them. Um, or they will repay you by playing nasty tricks on you. They're kind of known for not just being violent. Sometimes they're, you know, just a little more like mischievous. It kind of ranges, but for the most part, people's experiences with puck wedgies, negative. Yeah. Not the best. They cause trouble. 
Actually, it was believed that they were once friendly to humans, but then turned against them because, surprise, I guess us humans were like assholes to them. So there you go. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, kind of, man, they hold a grudge, though, don't they? They are known to kidnap people, push them off cliffs. There's actually a few different cliffs around um, the United States that have a ton of Pukwudgie sightings reported, Ooh. and as well as lots of um, reports of people dying from falling off cliffs. Like people like that, like they they didn't seem like they were pushed off or whatever, but you know, like kind of like oh, you know. So and so committed suicide, and everyone's like, well, "There's no way!" Like they're really happy. I mean, I'm not saying like I know that stuff happens, yeah. but like statistically speaking, there are certain wooded areas that it's very interesting that kind of correlation, even modern day. Um, and gosh, what else? I lost my place. Oh, um, they can attack their victims with short knives and spears, and they love using sand to blind slash disorient their victims. They just got all kinds of tricks. They really do. They so they versatile. really, really do. They're kind of like the American um leprechauns, I kind of think. Oh my god, what if what if they're related to like um like the Fae in a way. It you know? it definitely feels like they're very Fae like. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of trolls, leprechauns, spirit, yeah. like they, they kind of, it feels like they fall under that umbrella. Um, so the actual legend, the, the actual like Native American lore of the Pukwudgie and its origin, it began in connection to a deity called um, Mousehop, which was a creation giant believed by the Wampanoag to have created most of Cape Cod. I love creation giants. Right? Any creation stories. I'm obsessed with creation yeah. stories. I love hearing about them. Those are my favorite kinds of myths. Um, so this mouse hop, he was beloved by the people. And forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, because it could totally be mouse hop. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I like mouse hop. Cute. So... There's any um, Wampanoags out there or any Native Americans that know I'm mispronouncing it. Please forgive me. Um, So, yeah. So um, I'm going to continue to say Mousehop. Mousehop, he was super beloved by the people. And apparently the Pukwudgies were jealous of the affection the natives had for him. Um, They tried to help the Wampanoag, but their efforts always backfired until they eventually decided to just torment them instead. So it seems like they were really, really friendly to humans, tried to kind of, you know, help them out and be part of their community. And the humans just kept, you know, blowing them off, shrugging their shoulders and, you know, venerating Mousehop instead. Mm-hmm. So they weren't they didn't like that. They became mischievous and aggravated the natives until they asked um, another deity called Granny Squanit, who was Mousehop's wife, for help. Oh. So Mousehop collected, uh, that is the, um, the humans, not the Pukwudgies. They, they turned and asked for help from Granny Squanit. Um, and so, you know, I always think of like <laughs> my big fat Greek wedding, like 
man is the head, but the woman is the neck <laughs> or whatever. Like, so Granny Squanet got into Mousehop's ear and he's like, she's like, you have to do something about this. You have to help the humans. So Mousehop collected as many Pukwudgies as he could. Just all grabbed them into his hands. He shook them until they were confused and he tossed them around all of New England. Some perished. But others landed in different areas, which is kind of an explanation of why there, you know, you, there have been sightings, not just like in Massachusetts or in Cape Cod, like, but throughout New England. Um, and, you know, some of them were so pissed off that they want a revenge and they made their way back to Massachusetts. But Mousehop, he was like. I've done a good job, and I pleased my wife. I helped her out. I helped the humans out. I'm going to take a little vacay. While he was away, the Pukwudgies come back. They again changed their relationship with the Wampanoags. They were no longer just a nuisance. They began kidnapping children, burning villages, and forcing the Wampanoags deep into the woods and even killing them. So Granny Squanet, again, she has to step in, but Mousehop, I don't know, he was, like, busy on his bark lounger or something. He's just, like, lazy. He's like, well, I'm still on vacation. Let me just send my five sons to fix the problem. Where does a creation god go for vacation? I have no I, idea. I, I think it's a... If it's not vacationing in Cape Cod, who knows where <laughs> it is? Watch, he's like, um, I'm in Punta Cana right now. <laughs> I'm dealing with like enough Siguapas down here, which was enough. That was the first ever cryptid uh-huh. I covered. You guys deal with it. <laughs> I'll get back to my emails as soon as I'm back to my desk. <laughs> um, no. So, yeah. So he sends his five sons. Now, um, the Pukwudgies lured Mousehop's five sons into deep grass. And then shot them dead with magic arrows, with their poison arrows. Yeah, really tragic. Obviously, uh, Granny Squanet and Mousehop are livid, enraged, heartbroken. And they attacked as many Pukwudgies as they could find, crushed them, but many still escaped and scattered throughout New England again. Um, I keep saying New England, but I want, you know, I want to... I wonder what the name of the land actually was. Right. Like when Wampanoags were telling the story, they weren't calling it New England, which I'm kind of bothers me. I know but everyone I, kind of referred to it, everyone, as Turtle Island. I don't know that they, did they have different names for territories other than like, this is who we are and who's inhabiting here right now? I don't, yeah, I wish I just knew what they called like their region right. or their land, um, if it was maybe Massachusetts, because that sounds like it could be Native American, mm-hmm. but maybe it's not. I don't know. But again, I, I do want to like acknowledge that, you know, colonizer yeah. term in yeah. there. <laughs> um, so anyway, so the Pukwudgies, they regroup and they tricked Mousehop into the water and shot him as well with their arrows. Now, some legends say that they were successful in killing him, while other versions claim that he became discouraged and depressed about the death of his sons. Um, but after these events, Mousehop disappears from the Wampanoags mythology. So most people kind of assume, you know, the Pukwudgies were victorious in one way, whether that was killing 
uh, Mousehop or him being just so defeated that he just left. Um, some facts, more facts about puck wedgies. Um, they are known to live inside wooded areas and swamps. Um, they are considered spirits of the forest, even though they seem like very physical creatures when you interact with them. I think that magic aspect and the fact that they can transform and just kind of also just disappear out of nowhere. Um, and they not only have the ability to shape shift into a porcupine, I think that's the most popular one, but they can actually shape shift into anything. Okay. Which kind of makes things scarier. Yeah. So, so it's like you see, if you see like a cougar passing through and you're like, that could just be a cougar. That could also be a puck wedgie. Either way, go away. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Moral of the story, run. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you spot a puck wedgie, you should leave it alone. Anyone who annoys one will be followed around by the creature and will either fall victim to its nasty tricks. Um, they're known for stalking their victims. Um, or even killing them. Um, so Pukwudgies are commonly found in areas with other forms of paranormal activity. They have been sighted near Fall River, which, if that doesn't ring a bell, that is the home of Lizzie Borden, who oh, yeah. is the alleged Max mur- axe murderess. Um, and they've also been sighted in the haunted Moundsville State Penitentiary in Indiana, and even as far as Round Rock in Texas, which is also the area where Bigfoot allegedly lives. Um, so, da da da, okay, this is interesting, sorry, I just, like, had notes here that I I already, like, said in the beginning, so, all right, this is something I haven't said. (laughs) Pukwajee actually translates to person of the wilderness. And they actually go by another common name that's used interchangeably, and that's um, Baguajinini. Okay. And they are the oldest mythical creatures in North America. Oh. Yeah. And not only do stories of Pukwajis originate back to the Wampanoags, but also to the Mohicans and the Algonquin um, Native Americans. Okay. Um, they basically kind of like a little, they're spotted a little bit in the, in the Midwest. They have that one random spot in the South in Texas, but for the most part, they're mainly concentrated on the Eastern seaboard. Um, so different regions have different views on puck wedgies, which is interesting. Great Lake tribes believe they are mischievous, but harmless. Northeast Algonquin. Algonquian tribes believe they will become violent if they are disrespected, but are fine if they are left alone. I think the Wampanoags are the ones that are the most scared of them. Yeah. That they really believe they are truly just out to get them and never, never, ever trust a Pukwudgie. And there's actually been a significant amount of sightings in the woods of Massachusetts. Not like back in the day, like modern times. So much so... The police have gotten so many reports of Pukwudgie sightings that they actually erected a Pukwudgie crossing sign near the Freetown State Forest. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's see. 
now we're going to get into, oh, one more random fact. So the Song of Hiawatha, an epic poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, mentions Pukwudgies. This is the first written account or men- mention of Pukwudgies before this was all oral history or oral tradition. This was published in 1855. And it says, far and wide among the nations spread the name and fame of Kwasind. No man dared to strive with Kwasind. No man could compete with Kwasind. But the mischievous Pukwudgies, they the envious little people, they the fairies and the pygmies plotted and conspired against him. So there you go. And a very, very last fact before I really start getting into sightings. Puck wedgies, and this is how I very first heard of them at all. They actually appear in the Harry Potter oh, um, yeah. universe, uh, written by J.K. Rowling. Um, they are one of the houses in the Illivermorny School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, which is located in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the in the Harry Potter universe, like that's, there's not actually an Ilvermorny, I wish, <laughs> but each of the, there, just how Gryffindor had four houses, but, and they were named after the founders. Ilvermorny School of Witchcraft, they actually had four houses that were named after different Native American, like mythological creatures. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I, I loved this so much more than like the whole, Gryffindor, Slytherin, whatever thing, because each of the houses represented a different aspect of the wizard, and the Pukwudgies represented the heart of the wizard. Oh. So it was, like, about, and it had a much more compassionate view of Pukwudgies, like, they were, like, you know, kind of grumpy little trolls, but really they, you know, had a soft spot on the inside. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so enough fun facts. Now let's get into What's really fun, hearing about these modern-day sightings. So one man claims he saw a Pukwudgie with fur, glowing red eyes, and a nose like a wolf. And when it ran away from him, it released a disturbing moan. And um, this next one, this is kind of a long... I'm going to go into a little bit longer accounts. So... um, one night in 1995, um, there's this guy named Bill and his Rottweiler German Shepherd mixed dog, Samantha. They are on a late night walk to get a little exercise. Um, they did this every single night, no matter what time of year it was. So Bill and Samantha, they're out and about and it's the morning. Usually the two walked on the sidewalks towards the center of town and avoided the swamps. That part... Oh, sorry. This story takes place in um, Raynham, Massachusetts. Okay. And this guy's full name is Bill Russo, who was a retired um, iron worker at the time. Um, okay. So, sorry. So, yeah. So, they usually avoid the swamps. And then... Um, that particular night, I think I said morning, I meant night, uh, the two changed their route a little bit. They cut through his backyard and headed into the deep woods next to the swamps towards an old dam. 
which had once provided much-needed water power for an early ironworks place. So Samantha, the dog, pulled Bill along into an area that he calls the high trees. And when they had gone about a half a mile, they came to a break where a road cut through the swath. At this point, Samantha, the dog, begins acting up, pulling hard on her leash and looking up at Bill. She's trembling. Her hair is standing on end. And um, she's kind of like looking at Bill like, can we get the fuck out of here? <laughs> And so Bill's like, oh, my gosh, Samantha, like, what's going on? I don't see anything. It's okay. Like, trying to calm her down. Like, we'll go home now. Um, he tugged on her leash, but she wouldn't move an inch. She was, like, paralyzed, afraid of something. And according to Bill, Samantha was not a dog that was frightened easily. Like, she's a Rottweiler German Shepherd right. mix. Like, that is a proud and tough <laughs> breed mix right there. But in this case, she's just, like, crying and quivering. So there's clearly something in the darkness that was terrifying his poor dog. Bill begins hearing whatever was frightening his dog. It was really faint at first, but eventually was unmistakable. What he heard was an eerie voice calling through the, the night air saying, Iwachu, Iwachu. Kier, Kier, Iwachu. This high-pitched, unnatural voice repeated itself, getting louder and closer at the same time. Iwachu, Iwachu, Kier, Kier, Iwachu. So at first, Bill couldn't see anything, even though there was a streetlight about 20 feet ahead of him, um, and the lamp was casting kind of a bluish circle of light on the pavement. And then, in Bill's own words, he says, Into the circle walked a hairy creature, about three to four feet tall, which probably weighed 100 pounds. And what happened next has been haunting Bill for, gosh, I guess 30 years now. And this creature kept repeating, Iwachu, Iwachu, Choo-choo, Iwachu. <laughs> and I feel silly, like, saying this. Don't worry, it'll all make okay. sense in a bit. But he just kept, this creature just kept repeating it. And it stood straight on two legs, stared at Bill with, quote, eyes that were too large for its head, like the eyes of an owl, is how Bill described, described it. So Bill and Samantha were paralyzed for a bit watching this creature, but the creature was just standing there, didn't appear very threatened. Um, and, you know, at this point, the creature keeps speaking, saying that same weird, like, gibberish begins to motion to him with its arms, like, asking him to come closer, like how you would gesture to somebody, like, come here. And he also noticed, Bill was like, oh, this guy isn't wearing any clothes. And he was covered in coarse, unkempt hair that was about five or six inches long. And, he, and it, it appeared to have a pot belly. That was so protruding that it covered his um nether regions. And it looked to be in the young stages of old age, whatever that means. I guess if it's humanoid, right. whatever like middle age looks like on a Pukwashi. Um so obviously Bill's like, let's get the hell out of here. 
and he split. Um, they didn't even look back. And once Bill got home, he just kept like he was obviously really shaken about it because he's like, what the hell was that? Right. right. But also, what was that creature trying to say to me? And then it kind of hit him. And as far as he can figure, it was trying to speak English, he thinks. Oh. Trying to say, we want you. We want you. Come here. Come here. Which is loosely what it said. I want you. I want you. Here. Here. She's like, yeah, that's actually a pretty good guess. And... Bill took this to mean that there was more than one of this creature, that he just only saw one, but that there were more around. And needless to say, Bill didn't get very much sleep that night. And to this day, Bill still doesn't really know why the tiny creature wanted him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he felt like he narrowly avoided his own death that night. He had a very, very negative feeling about it. Um, in another encounter, now I mentioned the Freetown State Forest. There's a ginormous amount of sightings around this area. And in this area, there was a woman named um, Joan. Her last name is unknown, but she's walking her dog, Sid. Oh, sounds familiar. Um, and it's a cold Saturday morning. It's April 1993 or 94. The exact date isn't certain. As they made their way down the path, the dog suddenly became super anxious and just goes off the path. Obviously, Joan's like, oh my gosh, my dog, she's going to go and follow Sid and finds him lying down flat in the leaves. And 10 feet away from the dog, Sid is standing on a rock, a strange troll-like creature that was two feet high with pale gray skin and hair on his arms and the top of his head. She noted that the creature didn't seem to be wearing any clothes, but it was hard to tell because the creature had a distended stomach that hung down over his waist. Um, just about reached its knees, is what she said. So, Pakwajis like to eat. <laughs> you know, they got that apple figure. Um, she said that its eyes were a deep green color, that it had large lips, and it had an elongated, almost canine like nose. I like the way that. Dog's nose sticks out. Um, The hairy creature stood perfectly still and stared at the woman with not even the slightest hint of an expression on its face, almost like it was surprised to see her. Maybe he was on his morning walk, too. (laughs) Um, And, of course, Joan was like, holy crap, frozen in place. And she recalls feeling like, quote, the air in my lungs had been pushed out, unquote. So at that moment, her dog, Sid, finally kind of came to his senses, ran back to the main trail, dragging Joan along with him. Like, he's like, come on, mom, we got to get out of here. He's like, good dog. Um, Joan says that at most this encounter lasted like 30 seconds. But her experiences with this creature didn't end there. Since her experience, she has been visited by the same creature three times, maybe more, unknowingly, while she's sleeping. Although it hasn't tried to hurt her or speak to her, it's obviously been very unsettling, 
and she only sees it staring at her through the bedroom window, and even then the creature leaves as soon as Joan takes notice of it. And each time this happened, Joan was fully awake, and she was able to move as she needed to, so she wasn't, like, in sleep paralysis. Like, she was minding her business in her bedroom. But this has happened three times where she's caught the creature looking at her through the window. Who knows if it's been more often. And this last one. Um, One man who lives in Framingham, Massachusetts, claims that he's had not just one, but two different experiences with the Pukwudgies. So this guy, Tim, he's a paranormal investigator, um, but his experiences have forced him to remain well away from the forest. So in 1997, he was walking through the woods when a ball of light appeared to him. He became really excited. Obviously, he's a paranormal investigator, so he pulled out his digital camera to take a photo, and the orb suddenly disappeared and then reappeared a few feet away. Tim's following, and the orb keeps repeating this, like kind of coaxing him away. And it's not long until Tim realizes that the ball of light has led him more than 30 feet off the beaten path (laughs) into thickly wooded area. He's obviously getting real frightened at this point, and um, he proceeds to try to make his way back to the path. And when he gets back to the path, he is startled to find a two-foot-tall, man-like creature making its way towards him. Tim turned around and ran the fuck away, (laughs) only looking back to see the creature walk back into the woods. But he noticed that the creature was bipedal, and walked with a slight limp, which oh. is interesting, and that it had used its arms and hands to push branches aside in the exact same way that a human would. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very humanoid, but like really tiny, really weird looking. A few years later, Tim was waiting for a friend in a parking lot close to the exact same forest where he had his original encounter years earlier. And he saw the creature again standing there watching him intently. And then suddenly, Tim's car revved up by itself. Like he wasn't touching the pedal at all. And then the radio became much louder without him touching the dial. And it was clear that there were some unnatural forces at work. And at that moment, in panic, Tim backed out of the parking lot and took the long route home to get his hands to stop shaking so much. Interesting. So they have some sort of like abilities outside of themselves. Exactly. They have some magical abilities right. to, you know, affect outer objects, I guess. And that is, in a nutshell, the puck wedgie. So if you're ever visiting New England and especially hanging out around the wooded areas, keep your eyes peeled because you just might run into can one. Come, can you be friends with one? You know, it's interesting. When I was um, reading, like, sightings, I had to kind of um, cherry-pick the real good ones because I wanted ones that had detail. But there were some that, like, people commented on other people's posts about puck wedgies sharing their own experiences. And there was this one woman who recalls growing up visiting her grandparents that lived in New England and that she once saw this really, like, what she describes if an old woman was a troll mm-hmm. that when they were like coming back home from someplace, 
the light was on when they always turned the lights off. And then when they walked in, they saw this little woman like sitting in one of their chairs. And then as soon as the woman was old troll woman was caught, ran out the back door. And that it's interesting. It's kind of a repeated theme that when you have an encounter with a Pukwudgie, you're more likely to keep encountering them because after that, she kept kind of seeing this old troll-like woman, but her grandmother seemed to be really, really well aware of it. Obviously, she's like a little kid. I think she was like eight or something, she said, and she was really shaken, but her grandmother was like, it's fine, you know, they just, they just do their business. They're okay. Like, you do your thing and they'll do their thing. They're just really curious is all. It is kind of like the Fae, then. These beings that, like, you need to respect mm-hmm. them, but, like, you can, like, be on good terms with them. Exactly. Exactly. I want to go find one. And I just want to be like, hey. Well, it's interesting, because then, according to the first story that I shared, it doesn't seem like maybe they speak English well. Right. What if that's just their own language that happens to sound like English? And it really, maybe he was yeah, like, yeah, maybe. Come here. Like, let me show you. Or that's just like their accent. Yeah. Like their accent just makes it sound really like yeah. off. Yeah. Who knows? But I know we have some um, friends and listeners who live in New England. Yes. And please write in for our October listeners episode if you've had. Any experiences oh or have God, no. like friends we or have family so many that have for this episode, which is awesome. <laughs> it makes up for like the last yes. couple months that we've only had like three or four stories to read. Yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm so excited, but uh, honestly, like keep sending them in. We we want them all. We want to <laughs> hear it all. Um, and I'm requesting any puck wedgie. Honestly, any New England stories though, because I'm just like my yeah. brain. New England is on my brain, okay? It's on mine as well. Graham really wants to move out of California just because it's expensive. Um, Honestly, not same. that, <laughs> you know, New England is cheap, but, like, I know someone who just moved to Vermont. Um, and mm-hmm. so I started looking at houses there. And there are some oh. affordable areas, and it's beautiful. I'm in love with absolutely every picture they post. And uh, so, you know, convince me. Help me make it happen. Yeah, you know, it's, um, Gav and I really want to start the home buying process soon. It's very busy next year for the, the two of us, but, um, and it's just every time I hop on to, you know, those real estate websites, Zillow, Redfin, whatever, it's just so depressing. Yeah. It really is so depressing. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, just Petaluma alone. And when I go on like Zillow, it's like mm-hmm. everything's over eight hundred thousand. Yeah, these little tiny houses that I'm like, I'm sorry, is there black mold? Does one million things need to be fixed? Oh, it's like just under a million. Okay, cool, cool, makes sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, right now, I think Petaluma is the most expensive. Uh town to move into in Sonoma County and um while that is definitely the dream for us to move to Petaluma we both love Petaluma it's not going to happen at least not for our starter home and even outside of Petaluma you know once you get to the more affordable areas um 
it's we're, we don't have that many options right. and we'll probably get bid out very often. So yeah, every everywhere, no matter what the asking price is, they're selling for well over. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Guys, we're talking about like decrepit yeah. two bedroom, one bath spots that are selling for like five seventy. Yeah. $570,000 plus. Yep. Like we're, that's like, you know, like we're looking for something around that budget, but we're hoping for like a three bedroom home right. and it's just, or if you find a condo, mm -hmm. they're like, okay, yeah, let's do condos, less competitive market, but our H, the HOA oh fees will just bleed you dry. Like 400, $500, $600 HOA I fees. I do not care what anyone says. HOAs should be illegal. I hate them. I don't have anything good to say about them. They honestly shouldn't be more than a hundred bucks. They should not be anything over a hundred bucks. Cause I get like paying for the people who come in landscape, like the grounds. Right. Mm -hmm. And if it covers like any maintenance, that's nice. But anything above that, honestly, you're just paying for like, it's, it's like, it's like women's, um, like sizing numbers. It's just like determined by a guy who just like throws a dart and's like, okay, so this is a 10, but for this brand, it's going to be a 14. Right. And then. You know, I came across, I can't remember any of it right now, but it was this article about how HOAs are just inherently racist as well, which I'm like, I, I believe it. I uh, don't remember what it said, but I believe it. Yeah. I don't know the logic of it, but I wouldn't be surprised yeah. at all. Like at all. I just, I can't, I can't. I come across these videos. There was this one video I came across. This woman is trying to, uh, renovate their house beautiful house mm -hmm. they wanted to redo their windows and get black windows which like mm -hmm. not that long ago black windows were the thing that's what everyone had but like she's trying to do that again they have white windows she has to wait for permission to replace the windows in her own fucking home that's where i just yeah. i i really can't with hoas like having to get like you get a say to like upkeep the look of a neighborhood you just mm -hmm. like I don't know. It's too much to me. Yeah. A asking yeah. permission for something you're already, you bought it, you're making like, payments on it, you're paying taxes on it. Mm -hmm. To then have to pay to change, like, that's too much. Oh, Ga uh, Gavin, and when he was, like, living with his buddies in this house, they lived in, like, a, a townhome mm -hmm. neighborhood, and there was the HOA and everything, and they had these absurd rules, and it's, so dumb like they uh gavin's roommates would often get ticketed and one even got towed because he left his car on the driveway overnight yep. like that was a rule that no one is allowed to keep their cars like you can park your cars during the daytime but there's a certain time of night where either you bring it into the garage or you move it to one of the allotted parking spots where which are always already over like yeah. full because pe people just own more cars than they used mm -hmm. to per household. Oh god, and it was just It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. I I dated someone once who lived in this super small area that had an HOA. It was literally like I think it was four houses, but each house was like a duplex, like a two-story mm -hmm. duplex. That was it. That's all this little area was, and I parked in this one spot. Yeah, I had to move out of it by a certain time. Um 
but I was coming out to do it. And the guy who lived right there came out, was screaming at me because I cracked his curb. And I was like, what do you mean what? I cracked your curb? He's like, you obviously drew, drove up on the curb and now there's a big crack in it. And I was like, sir, how much do you think this curb can withstand? Like, it's a truck, yes, but like, <laughs> number one, no, that didn't happen. Number two, that's not possible. It's cement. <laughs> I later found out that they had a vote to try to, like, ban me from ever coming back. <gasps> what? Yes. It didn't pass, obviously. Because <laughs> people were like, that's yeah. But, like, he called for a vote for that reason. Wow. And yeah, I I just Yeah, HOAs get like really catty. Like just like that situation with Gavin, like we were at the pool and Gavin was never like an offender of that rule. Mm -hmm. He always parked his car where, you know, it was allowed. And so did I. Um and we were at the pool. It was like a hot day, so we're at the the HOA pool, whatever, community pool. And there's a guy that comes over and he starts talking to us and he's like, "So, you know, you guys are parking your cars a lot in the driveway overnight. I'm just I'm just telling you, we have every right, you know, because we know that you don't own it. You guys are renting it from the owners of that townhome and we can vote to have you guys, you know, um, removed. And and ex, ex, uh, what is it called? Like. Terminate your lease. Right. Yeah, no. And. He's like, and he's like, well, I, I never, you know, I, I never do it. And he's like, well, then you go back and tell your roommates that they are this close to being kicked out. And I'm like, holy shit. See, I can see in a, an area where there are places like townhomes having like a community fee to pay for the landscaping, but to have the authority of an and like HOA, upkeep if, if, if there's like a pool or yeah, anything that yeah. makes sense a community fee to live there but to have an hoa where like things like that can be done should not be allowed at all like just no there, yeah no I, yeah anyways way off moral of the story <laughs> kids the housing market in california sucks yeah. like it kind of sucks everywhere yeah it, but particularly in California, holy fucking shit. It, it really does. And, you know, I think some people are, use it to be like, well, fuck California. It, our economy is doing great. That's part of why yeah. it's happening. Because like, we're a great fucking, like, we're an awesome fucking state. Yes. We got it going on. Everything, like, everyone wants to live here for a reason. Yeah. It's unfortunate for the people who were born and raised here. But, yeah. um, you know. It's a good for her kind of situation, but also, you know, leaves one thing. But we also would <laughs> kind of grew up dreaming of growing old here. And yeah. now we're not so sure that's going to be feasible. And if we try to make it happen, we just have to be like low income for the rest of our lives to be able to afford the house. Right. Like, it's just. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I don't think there's anywhere else I'd rather live. Like, if I didn't live here. I think New England for a while I was thinking like Washington area until I heard about mm. um, how one day there could be an earthquake that causes the land to like drop, which would like be and devastating. A so, like, thing. I don't want that to happen. And I feel like New England's also further away from yellow. Graham has all sorts of fun facts. He's has me worried about a Washington um, 
the land dropping issue and then Yellowstone mm-hmm. erupting, which would be like catastrophic as well. So like New England, I feel like is far enough away from both of those things. Um, so. Sounds like a plan. Let's escape to New Love England. It. <laughs> <laughs> hey, upstate All right, well, New everyone... York is pretty cheap. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah, Not it's... New England, but mm-hmm. like. For sure. Anyway. Yeah. Well, um, that is our episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you've been listening to The New Witches. We'll be back at you next week for our witchy episode. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at The New Witches everywhere. You can also submit your listener stories on our website, which we mentioned earlier. It's thenewwitches.com. Go to our contact page. We have a submission form there. You can also email your story slash question in directly to us at thenewwitches at gmail.com. And lastly, you can call it in. We have a Google voicemail uh, number that, uh, as I said, it's a voicemail box. Go straight to voicemail. You don't have to talk to either of us. And you have three minutes to leave your question or story. And we will feature it, your actual voice, on the episode. The phone number for that is 707-559-8111. And please support the show in any way you can. Um, Ways to do that other than, you know, following us on social media is um, like or subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and on any listening platform that you're on. Um, That really helps our standings, of course. Tell your friends and family about us. And um, please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the new witches. And you can get exclusive benefits as a member, um, bonus monthly, ep- monthly bonus episodes. Um, some levels include private readings with Laura, um, lots of goodies. You're added to our close friends list on Instagram. So you get exclusive like behind the scenes content in our Instagram stories. Lots of great stuff, as well as um, being added to our private patrons-only Facebook community. A lot of goodies in there. Definitely check it out. Patreon.com slash The New Witches. And yeah, that is our episode. We'll catch you next time. I'm Maria. I'm Laura. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.